0: to thrive. Welcome to the Thrivology podcast with Dr. Lee Bauckham. Join us as we explore ways that you can thrive in your life, regardless of what life throws at you. It's your life. Time to live it. I don't know, maybe it's just me, but I tend to find that sometimes when I get this idea of something that's going to you know kind of make me happy, something I really, really want, it begins to be a fixation. Maybe it's part of that addictive personality that I have and that many people have where we start getting the idea that we've just got to get to this place. You know, if I just had this toy or if I just had that relationship or if I just had that degree or this job or some other situation, if I just had that, you know, the perfect house, the perfect kids, if I just had that, I would finally feel happy. And what happens with that is it becomes a a, a cycle in our head. We get fixated on it, and we find ourselves constantly returning to that. And and whenever things are a little tough, we say, you know, just if I could get there. So it could just be me. And if so, you know, this might not apply to you. But I find that a lot of people have a fixation point. They find that external thing that they just are sure is going to do it. I've talked with a number of people who have found that when they finally got there, it just wasn't all that. I talked with a person who'd who'd been a doctor for years, and and he said, you know what? I never really wanted to do this. I just thought I did. I just thought that if if I could finally make it through med school and finally make it through residence and then finally get my own practice, that something would finally make me happy. And what I've realized is nothing out there is going to do it. I talked with an attorney who had gone through law school. Same thing. You know, he grew up with this idea that if he could just be an attorney, he could finally write his ticket, and he worked to get through law school, and he worked to clerk, and he got to his own practice, and he built that up, and it still wasn't doing it. I talked with a person who was sure that finally having that spouse would finally do it. You know, that there's something finally there once they found the spouse that life would finally get to where, uh, where they wanted it to be. And, and then they found the spouse and no happiness came from that. And unfortunately, that began to hurt the relationship because the person's expectation was the marriage would get them there. They'd gotten so fixated on that. I talked with another person who just felt like it was that perfect house. She and her husband planned this perfect house, and they'd been planning it for years, keeping ideas in a folder and and following them away. And when they finally got to work building it, they got to the end of it and realized that they had this beautiful house, but were no happier with it. The external things that we always are waiting for to finally make us happy rarely actually get us there, at least for very long, because we always kind of go back to this midline. We all have a point, our our thermostat is set at a certain point, unless we figure out how to adjust that thermostat. One of the reasons that we get into trouble is because we inherited something from our ancestors. (laughs) This ancestry uh, about bettering ourselves is is just kind of our culture, right? Right. I don't think that it's shared by other creatures. I don't see other creatures trying to figure out how to make themselves better. They might want to be in a better place, right? Maybe they want to have a better tree to pick their fruit from or a better watering hole where it's cleaner and a little more safe. But I don't think they're stepping back asking how can they make their life better. I think that's a human piece. And it's gotten us a long way. You know, that's what leads us to keep exploring new things and inventing new things and trying to push the edges of culture and the edges of, of the humanity to see what else is out there, to run faster, to fly higher, to build things that haven't been built before, to invent things that haven't been invented before, to understand things that haven't been understood before. That's the drive of humans. And it's gotten us a long way but not necessarily a long way happier, just a a wider world. As I'm recording this, I'm in another city uh, after a a publicity piece and and a a TV station, and I'm looking out at these buildings that have been built. I'm in a downtown, and these buildings have gone up. And my guess is that somebody said, you know what? I'm going to build that building. It's going to be a great building. People are going to love it, and and we're going to make lots of money. And, and, And as they're imagining that, there's a piece of them that's going, that'll do it. I'll have made my mark on the world. So they build it. My guess is the next step is to build another one. And there's nothing wrong with us doing the external pieces. The problem is when we believe that those external pieces are what are finally going to get us there. Our ancestors were always looking for the next, the bigger, the better, the more comfortable. And we do the same, even though we're already surrounded by that. And so as we're doing that, that's a great thing in times of scarcity. You know, and our ancestors, when the fruit began to, to uh, disperse, right when there wasn't enough to feed them on a certain area, to be able to go somewhere else and look for more, to learn to grow and find better places to grow and how to find, make the land grow better and how to make the animals uh, grow bigger and all of those pieces propel them from scarcity to abundance, The problem is that that same piece that propels us through scarcity doesn't serve us so well in times of plenty because the drive becomes repetitive. I believe that in our brain, we have this little addictive piece around sugar for a central reason. Long ago, when sugar wasn't readily available... It would be found in fruit and only for a brief time in the year. So why not get the body to crave that sugar, to go out and find as much as they can of it and eat as much of the fruit as they can, getting ready for what comes after the fruit season. That's the cold season, winter. And so they could bulk up a little bit. And then they didn't have to worry about it because there wasn't going to be any sugar during the winter season. There wasn't going to be any fruit. There wasn't going to be any energy source. And so it was a natural pattern. So our brain developed around having these addictions because those addictive pieces weren't available all the time. Now you can walk around anywhere. I was at breakfast this morning surrounded by sweet drinks and sweet pastries and sweet bars and sweet yogurt and all of that that was just readily available right there for the taking. When I was at the TV station for the interview, I watched person after person come in to warm their breakfast and they were eating sweet after sweet after sweet to let me know that we now live in an abundance of many things. And because of that, we sometimes get lost in the fact that our brain is wired from a scarcity time to propel us forward. That's what propels us into building the bigger and the better to find the more comfortable, to find the amazing, because we're propelled forward from the scarcity that lived behind us in our ancient ancestors' mind, and yet now we live in the opposite of that, a time of plenty. And yet humans aren't feeling much more happy. In fact, humans are pretty bad at predicting what will make them happy. We've proven that over and over. I want you to think over the last year, because I do it and I I kind of uh, drop my head a little bit, of all the things that you thought, you know, if I had that gadget, or if I had that opportunity, or if I went to that place, or if I did this or that activity, or had this house or that house, that you believe that that would get you to happy. And probably for the moment, there was a happiness, because it's external, you remember, happy is a something out there, but it creates a loop. And the, the loop is this. The belief that this will make me happy moves down to the place where you get that peace. And then from that getting, you get back to a place of what scientists call homeostasis, where you get to a static place, the same place you were before, which leads to a feeling of the sameness, which means you then start looking for what will make you happy again, find a target, Get that target, realize it didn't work again, which leads you to feel the sameness, which leads you back to wanting something that will make you happy and finding another target because we haven't figured out what will make us happy. It's something out there. We're sure of it. And so we believe it the next time, too. So what's the antidote to this? Is it always chasing the target? Well, let me assure you, first of all, that this is not a speech about austerity. It's not about uh, giving up on having any creature comforts. It's not even about giving up on sugar. It's really about understanding that that cycle exists within us. And when we get caught in that cycle, it repeats over and over because we humans do not predict what will make us very happy very well. So when we get caught in that, I'm not talking about just living in austerity. If you're about simplicity, that's great. But that doesn't have to be where it needs to be. So what's the first thing you do? Well, the first thing is I believe you should doubt your thoughts. You doubt your thoughts. So you don't believe everything you believe. Have you ever seen that bumper sticker? Don't believe everything you think. Don't believe everything that crosses your mind. Don't believe everything that pops into your mind because you realize that there's a fallacy of thought process. Here is what the marketers now count on in our daily life. You make emotional decisions when you purchase something that you then justify with your rational thoughts. You find something and you're just sure that that's going to be it. There's an emotional response to it. You go, oh, I want that. And then your mind helps you decide why you should have that. I want shifts to why you should get it. In your thought process, because your emotional life, your, that subconscious part of your mind is trying to convince the top part of your mind that controls the purse, spring, purse strings that you need that object, right? So you see something in a store and you go, oh, I love that. And then your mind starts telling you why you probably need that. You know, that party next week you need to dress for. Oh, you could wear that to work. Or, oh, look how nicely it's made. I need to support local or whatever it is that, that comes out of that. And they may be true. But recognize that many times our buying decisions are made on an emotional level, which means that our decisions about moving towards things that make us happy are based on an emotional level that we then justify and rationalize with our thoughts. So the first thing is to doubt your thoughts. Just because you think it doesn't make it true, just because you think it doesn't make it helpful, just because you think it doesn't make it accurate, it just means you have a thought. And so a piece of this is recognizing that the thoughts in our head are just that, they're thoughts. It's a wonderful thing what our mind does. It creates thoughts every day, but they're thoughts not reality. And in today's world, I think we can kind of notice that many people have lost track of the difference between a thought and reality. And so the first point is just to recognize that a thought really is a thought, and you can doubt your thoughts. You can question your thought, and you can set them aside for a bit. I believe that the biggest shift, though, comes when we shift to our purpose. The reason you're here here what you have to bring to the world with your your skills, with your gifts, with your presence, with your capacity. We are here, I believe, for a reason. We have a purpose that we're trying to discover and have unfold in front of us. And when we shift to purpose, we make another shift away from the external and towards the internal. Remember external, that happiness? Notice that happy and happen sound a lot alike. It's because they share a root. And to happen, something has to happen in order to be happy. It's external. Something out there happen comes to us and we become happy over it. And the fact is that that external is constantly changing. And that's the problem with when we put our hopes in the external making it. It's going to fade. It's going to change. It's going to shift. We're going to get used to that rather than turning to the internal, which is more a place of joy and satisfaction. When people are living their purpose, they experience satisfaction and joy. That doesn't mean that every day is a dream day. No matter what people are doing, there are going to be places and times when people don't want to have to do what they got to do to get there. Sometimes it's scary, sometimes it's boring, sometimes it's unappealing, but it's part of the process. If you really want to get to the place of living your purpose, you have to go through those scary places. You have to go through some of those mundane pieces to get to the thing that brings you the greatest joy. As you do that, as you make that shift to the internal, to your bigger purpose, you begin to dwell in the area of passion and you begin to uh, to work in the area of impact, where you're making a difference with those around you, that brings the bigger piece. That's where finding that joy and satisfaction really begins to move you in a different direction to a place where you don't have to wait for the external because you always have a choice about the internal. External is always waiting for something to happen. Internal is choosing to live your purpose. My suggestion is work towards that purpose, to find your place of passion, to live your skills and your capacity, to find how you make an impact in the world. Have no doubt you make an impact in the world. The question is whether you make the kind of positive impact you wanna make or not. When we shift to purpose, we also shift to a positive impact. If this has been helpful, I would love it if you would check out my new book, thethriveprinciples.com is where you can find it. The book is called Thrive Principles, 15 Strategies for Building Your Thriving Life. If this has been helpful, it would be great for you to support me by spreading the message of that. Let other people know about Thrive Principles. In fact, I would love it if you would give that as a gift. We're at the holiday season. Grab Thrive Principles and let other people know how they can build a thriving life. This is Lee Balcom wishing you... A thriving life. You've been listening to the Thrivology Podcast. Thank you for listening. If you want more information, visit us at thrivology.com or at thrivologymagazine.com. Remember that Thrivology is spelled T H R I V E O L O G Y. It's your life. Time to live it.